Good morning. It's Monday, the 19th of June, and I'm Govind Rajathiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital and the most rocking city in the world. Well, almost. Our top reports for the day: falling material costs are helping companies pay higher taxes to government. Dark patterns: how we could be getting conned online. Less planes, fewer airlines, and yet India scores record passenger traffic in May. And finally, how one car maker is making no secret of its electric hesitation. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Tax collections are rising. India's tax collections including advance taxes continue to rise as companies benefit from lower material costs in manufacturing and stronger credit growth which has helped banks and finance companies put differently as companies report better margins and more profits the first call on these profits is obviously the taxman's investment banks like morgan stanley have already said they expect better margins to power the stock market in the next year or two for many companies The government's advanced direct tax collections for the June quarter from companies limited liability partnerships and individuals was up 15% year on year to about 116000 crore as of last week. While it all looks like it's soaring skywards at some point the party could slow down a little. Goods and service tax collections growth for India states for example could moderate to 12 to 14% in 23-24 versus 20% in the previous year rating agency Crisil has predicted. So how could we broadly sum up the strength in tax collections and what is driving it and for how long I reached out to Sujan Hazra executive director and chief economist at stockbroking firm Anand Rati to ask him his take We generally try to correlate the corporate earnings and therefore corporate tax or GST with how the GDP is growing but the link between GDP and corporate earnings is not very direct in the sense GDP incorporates the return to all factors of production land labor capital organization whereas corporate earnings is just the profit part of it now typically if you look at the transition from the last year to this year what is happening is that india's real gdp growth is coming down as also the inflation rate so your nominal gdp growth is coming down significantly for example last year the gdp growth was real gdp growth was 7.2 and inflation ballpark say 5 and 1/2 so we are talking about almost a 13 14% kind of a nominal gdp growth Whereas this year the best estimate for GDP is about six point two percent, that is real GDP, and inflation numbers may be somewhere close to four and a half five. So we are talking about ten and a half eleven percent nominal GDP growth. So in that sense, the GDP growth will actually slow down both in real and nominal terms during the current year as compared to the last year. But having said that, the corporate earnings growth actually last year was much slower. say for example if you look at at the index level below the index level the earnings grew by anything between 4 to 6% whereas the nominal gdp growth was say 13% this year it's going to be the other way around that while the nominal gdp growth will slow down corporate earning will increase very significantly the major reason for that is the raw material cost the last year the raw material cost as a percentage of net sales was somewhere close to 55% the long period average is between 51 to 52% now this year with the raw material cost going down the raw material as a percentage of net sales will come down to maybe 52% so there will be almost a 3 percentage point margin expansion 
And the moment the margin expands like that, overall corporate earnings, even if there is a little bit of slowdown in volume, corporate earnings growth will be extremely robust. I would say, for example, for large cap companies, the corporate earnings, the expectation is that about 20% earnings growth in the next 12 months. For mid caps, about 30% and small caps, about 40%. So with that, obviously, that will get reflected in your GST, that will get reflected in your corporate tax. And that's what explains the kind of buoyancy this year. But you're also saying that if there is this reduction in raw materials, this would apply mostly to industrials, as in companies that are producing, either dealing with commodity products or consumer products or so on. But the phenomenon seems to be industry-wide. Yes, uh, the largest impact will be in the oil and gas and metal space. But beyond that, even if you look at, say, for example, FMCG, the impact of palm oil prices. Also, if you look at the crude derivatives, they are a large part of the packaging. And also the transportation cost also is uh, linked to that. So you are absolutely right. This impact will be more on industrials and materials, but also it will have impact on other areas and also the energy cost, apart from the raw material, even the energy cost will come down to some extent. You're saying that therefore roughly, what, 70 or 80% of, um, let's say, the listed universe that we track will be positively impacted or is it more than that? If you look at the nifty level, 35% of the nifty is financials. IT will be another 15-16%. And if you look at uh, pharma, which is also sort of export-oriented, that also has some weightage. So this will play out mostly, as you rightly said, uh, in the hardcore manufacturing sector, the old economy sector. So they are the margin expansion, whether it's auto or whether it's metals, whether it's oil and gas. And they are the impact will be far more. Uh, Sujan, thank you so much for joining us. Meanwhile... The bullish report of this week's price, or maybe it's last week's, goes to HSBC, titled India Investment Destination of the Decade and Beyond, and penned by its global private banking and wealth team, it touches upon the usual points of demographics to digital public infrastructure and high-tech exports to strong balance sheets to make a case for the India investment story. The part I found interesting and somewhat little new was the reference to India's old economy sectors, namely the unorganized, low and medium tech manufacturing and agriculture, which make up, by the way, 85% of India's GDP. HSBC argues that the new India, which is the digital part, can lift up the old India, and this could lead to greater formalization of informal sectors and digitalization of manufacturing. Now, agriculture is already seeing tech innovations via drones, artificial intelligence, that new word, and computing in general. More startups are emerging, and if all the ducks fall in line, then India's potential growth rate could rise to 7.5% per year over the next decade, solving two-thirds of India's employment problem, says HSBC. Now, all of what HSBC is saying may of course happen in any case, but a friendly reference to the informal sector is always welcome. At least someone in this space is thinking about them. May is a rocking month for Indian aviation. Airbus could announce a record 500 aircraft agreement with India's Indigo, Bloomberg News is reporting. This order would double the airline's existing backlog and is for A320s, the aircraft that Indigo uses and you may have flown in. The 500 number seems high and compares with Air India's own agreement with Airbus and Boeing to buy 470 aircraft, 
a deal by the way if which you remember saw various heads of state sign off and announce quite grandly now on the subject of traffic and the month of may now despite lower number of airlines and aircraft india's domestic traffic hit 13.2 million passengers crossing the previous record of 13.02 million the mint newspaper reported The Mumbai International Airport meanwhile hit a record of 4.34 million passengers flowing through its gates in the same month of May or last month up 23% from May 22. The previous record for Mumbai was of course before covid at 4.32 million passengers in May 2018. Delhi was the top domestic destination followed by Bangalore and Chennai and Dubai not surprisingly is the top in the international category. Dubai was followed by Abu Dhabi and Singapore. Speaking of lower number of airlines the absence of goair helped indigo take a 61.4% market share in the month of may according to data from the director general of civil aviation now this is the highest market share in indigo's 16 year history in the same month many airlines clocked an over 90% passenger load factors with spicejet at almost 95% now all these are of course drool worthy numbers for airlines till they last Are you getting conned online? Okay, so has it happened to you that things you've not bought have got added to your shopping cart or some small but mysterious amounts get added to your final online bill whether buying goods or for that matter an air ticket? Well, it turns out that this is a much bigger problem than many of us may have thought and there is a name for it. It's called dark patterns. and covers a surprisingly large breadth of funny behaviors for lack of a stronger word the government's department of consumer affairs or the doca and the advertising standards council of india known as the asci are working on self regulatory frameworks to check these dark patterns in indian advertising where companies use unethical practices to fool customers guidelines on this are expected in 2 months now there is much more to this and i caught up with aski ceo and secretary general manisha kapoor to understand dark patterns and i also asked her whose neck was really on the chopping block in this matter and how so dark patterns are essentially online designs uh, and you know ui ux interfaces or uh, navigation mechanisms through which consumer choices online are kind of determined you know what choices are shown what are suppressed what pricing is shown what do you see at the beginning versus what do you see at checkout so everything really to do with uh, the information that a consumer may have online or the way that they are being navigated uh, through that system of either information or uh, a purchase that they are making online now when these you know ui ux design so these design principles essentially steer consumers to choices that may not be what they actually want to do or may be detrimental to their interests that's when these are called commonly dark patterns or otherwise called online deceptive design patterns right and as you say it it makes sense but this is not something i would have caught uh, in at least in terms of scale and size as in maybe intuitively yes it does feel like this was happening so how do you describe then the extent on scale of uh, this kind of deceptive advertising particularly in india So I would say not just in India but globally I mean I don't think I have come across a single person who's not encountered these right I mean 
many of us have inadvertently paid insurance fees on an airline ticket or you know we've ordered something for 100 rupees uh, you know on a food app and by the time you check out it's like some 250 rupees and you know many of those charges like taxes etc are mandatory to pay so you know that's not based on whether you're asking for extra chutney or sauce it's it's just uh, you know part of what you have to pay anyway so these are some examples you know or what are the choices that you were being given versus Sometimes even all the choices are not displayed. Basically, a dark pattern impinges on your right to full information and your right to give an express consent for the choices you're making. And you've given some good examples already, uh, Manisha. You know, and the Department of Consumer Affairs in India is also working with you on this. Now, what are the two or three categories that are, let's say, the biggest offenders and which have in turn caused everyone to sit up and say, we've got to do something about it? So there are quite a few, um, you know, so for example, pricing certainly is one because that almost has a very direct impact uh, in terms of your ability to compare prices or your ability to know what the true price is of what you're paying until you're kind of, you know, late in the process where in a sense you have already committed to the purchase, right? And therefore there are uh, biases that you have to complete the transaction rather than say that, okay, I've spent the last five or 10 minutes arriving at this choice and for you to go back. So that's certainly a very, very uh, prevalent pattern. There are others like disguised advertising and both the Department of Consumer Affairs as well as ASCII have kind of identified influencer posts as potentially disguised advertising. There is also the issue of consumer reviews. Uh, now, where such reviews are paid for or you know are incentivized, does the consumer know that? So it's not again as if you know, incentivized reviews may not be there, but they need to be called out, right? The consumer has a right to know whether a particular reviewer was incentivized because, I mean, all of us base so much of our online purchase decision and choices uh, based on the reviews that we see. Uh, so these are some of the big examples, but a lot of others as well. And I think this is only an evolving kind of field. So, you know, there certainly would be newer kind of uh, patterns that that come up. It's just that the broad term you know, encompasses all such patterns, even things like subscription traps, right? I mean, once you've signed up to something, how difficult is it to cancel your subscription midway? So there was uh, an example shared, I think, at the consultation that day that I think the Norwegian government did look at some of their website and to sign up, you need three clicks and three action points. But to unsubscribe yourself, it needs about 11 or 12 clicks. You know, so these are just various examples of how consumer interest or their information is being suppressed, kind of put at a lower priority versus the advertiser's interest. So there needs to be a balance between the interest of the advertiser and the interest of the consumer. And that is what is compromised through these kind of uh, practices. You're the Advertising Standards Council of India. So you're, uh, you're a body of advertisers. So how does this get enforced at what level and by whom? Uh, most sales take place on platforms or websites or marketplaces Advertisers may or may not be the people who are dealing directly with consumers. So how does this work? So there are two points uh, that I want to address here. One is that, you know, platforms or marketplaces can't completely shrug off their responsibility. And I think this has been one of the pushbacks that's constantly come from them saying that, you know, we are just a marketplace and the pricing is put by, you know, either the restaurant or the reseller and, you know, we are kind of just providing this place. But I think how the pricing has to be entered on these platforms, uh, for example, is, you know, the the platform has, has a lot of choice uh, in this matter. So I don't think that they can completely kind of say, you know, that uh, we are not the advertiser. A lot of times consumers actually go to these platforms to buy 
things and and they actually don't know who the reseller is and you know they have uh, really no relationship with the seller but they have a relationship with the platform i mean that is where their financial details are stored those are the apps that we have so they are pretty much part of that ecosystem and need to play their share of you know responsibility the other thing is that dark patterns are of various types and some of them relate to advertising but some of them don't relate to advertising as well so the department of consumer affairs of course you know has a much larger mandate to look at all kinds of uh, compromise when it comes to consumer interest from an ascii perspective we are more focused on the advertising related dark patterns i'll give you an example of a dark pattern which is not an advertising related pattern is Uh, you know when you have something uh, let's say you are on a website that is talking about health and you know they say sign up to our newsletter and they say yes i want to be healthy and no i don't want to be healthy now just because i don't sign up to your newsletter doesn't mean i don't want to be healthy right so you are actually guilting me or shaming me if i say no to you that is unacceptable you know so those are again examples of you know where they may not feature in ads but nonetheless are patterns that need to be avoided or for example when you check out you know you suddenly see a couple of other items added in your basket if it's again not with your express consent you know so while you do click say yes and you know only then would actually be billed for it but the point is then you're expecting the consumer to be really diligent of every point and line that is said or put out on the invoice and you would just believe that what you've put into the cart is eventually what you're checking out you would not expect other items to be there so i think you know what the demand is really to make sure the consumer has the right information to make their choice and to make sure that their consent you know is express right manisha thank you so much for uh, joining me and uh, providing insights on both the problem and the solution at the same time thank you Toyota gets attacked by climate friendlies. Now, it's tough to take a contrarian position on fossil fuels, particularly in the automotive industry. It's worse if you say it aloud. Pretty much everyone, including shareholders, could jump on you as car maker Toyota found out recently. Before I come to Toyota, RC Bhargava, Maruti Suzuki's India chairman and industry veteran, has been saying for the last couple of years and more that going all out on electric does not make sense at least for his company maruti adding it does not make sense in the national context either his point is that india generates almost 75% of its electricity from dirty coal overall he feels hybrid technology natural gas compressed natural gas or cng and biofuels are a better way towards a cleaner future at this point than an all out assault on electric cars Now, this is visible in his company's product portfolio, which also now reflects Suzuki's global partnership with Toyota. You can see the same car almost with different badges on Indian roads. The classic example being Maruti's Grand Vitara, a sister model to Toyota's Urban Cruiser Highrider, both hybrids and built at Toyota's Karnataka plant. Now, back to parent Toyota. It's now chairman and earlier CEO till April Akio Toyoda. won a re-election with the support of 85% of shareholders last week a number sufficiently high but lower than expected after investors like California Public Employees Retirement System or CalPERS and New York City's Public Worker Pension Funds backed by proxy advisory firms campaigned to remove him the 66 year old car racer had said last year that a silent majority in the auto industry had questioned whether electric vehicles should be the only consumer option The ostensible reason for the shareholder move was that Toyota's board was insufficiently independent. 
Now, the Wall Street Journal has argued that the proxy campaign was about punishing Mr. Toyota for candidly explaining the challenges to full electrification and promoting hybrid alternatives to battery-powered vehicles. Toyota's other alleged offense, says the WSJ, was lobbying governments to make electric vehicle mandates less aggressive and punitive. Apparently, climate-related shareholder resolutions during this proxy season have drawn significantly less support than in recent years. And that's interesting. The Wall Street Journal finally argues that technological innovation rather than government mandates is what will ultimately drive consumers to buy electric vehicles. By the way, Toyota unveiled new batteries last week that it says it will introduce in new vehicles in 2026 and would extend the vehicle range to 620 miles or over a thousand kilometers. I mentioned it last week too, as this could be the car that could go from Mumbai to Bangalore on a single charge if, of course, there were no jams on Khandala Ghats. Meanwhile, consumers, as the Wall Street Journal argues, deserve a choice to buy. And finally, before I go, last week I shared an extract with a conversation I had with India's Semiconductor Mission Advisor Ajay Chaudhary, also HCL co-founder, on the business case to manufacture semiconductor chips in India. He felt India needed a strong semiconductor industry of its own because, among other things, the next wars could be fought over it. Well, in India, we have two likely projects, one from Vedanta Foxconn and the second from American Micron, which is looking at a $1 billion chip packaging plant, which, according to reports, will be an outsourced semiconductor assembly testing and packaging unit. Meanwhile, chip giant Intel has said it will spend $25 billion on a new plant in Israel, officials said on Sunday. The agreement in principle would see the semiconductor giant build the facility in the southern city of Kiryat Gat that would open by 2027 and operate at least till 2035, AFP said, quoting Israel's finance ministry. Intel, in return, would receive a grant of 12.8% of its outlay in line with Israel's capital investment encouragement law. The moral of the story is that there aren't too many semiconductor manufacturing plants in the world and the competition and the manufacturing of them is heating up. That's it from me on this Monday morning. I hope you have a great week ahead. Do share this podcast with your friends and family if you like it. Do send your feedback to me on govindraj at thecore.in. See you tomorrow. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>